This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. As I have it printed out before me, the story runs in excess of 35 pages. Inside Jerry Falwell Jr.'s unlikely rise and precipitous fall at Liberty University, published in Vanity Fair. It has everything that you could want. It has sex scandal Donald Trump. It has inside information and an admission by Jerry Falwell Jr. that he's not a particularly religious person. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. This Vanity Fair piece really has no intention of being fair or balanced, so why do you think Jerry Falwell Jr. granted this kind of close access to Vanity Fair? Well, I think the thing that people have to think about as they read this piece, I mean, and and the more you know about some of the evangelical institutions that are involved in this, there are moments when when you go, I mean, this really reads like a National Geographic piece about a very strange and bizarre culture written by someone who considers it a very bizarre and strange culture. And trust me, there are plenty of parts of this that are worthy of being called strange and bizarre and whatever else. But I think the main thing that you have to tell yourself as you go through this piece over and over, you have to say to yourself, Jerry Falwell Jr. is a lawyer. He's a University of Virginia lawyer. So why is he doing this piece? In other words, how does this fit either into his plans? I don't think it has anything to do with rehabilitating himself. I don't think that's the goal at all. That's not how it reads. No. As I read it, the goal is to try to figure out kind of what comes next for this man. I think it's it's also good, and this may sound like a cynical reporter talking, Sometimes when I read a story like this, I say, okay, what's the absolute best motive that I can assign to what the protagonist does in this piece, including the reporter, and what is the worst possible motive? In, in this case, who is Jerry Falwell trying to protect other than himself? And I think that's assuming a good motive. And... Who is he trying to hurt in this piece? And I think then if you remind yourself, oh, and remember, this guy is a lawyer. And I also, based on people I've known who know Liberty University well through the years, and especially people who knew Jerry Falwell Sr., and we'll need to talk about what we learn about Jerry Falwell Sr. in this piece, I think the thing that rings truest in this entire piece is that Jerry Falwell Jr. never wanted to be the president of Liberty University. And if you assume that to be true, and I think most of the evidence points in that direction, 
then that changes almost everything you know or think you know about, say, the last 10 years in press coverage of evangelical life, of the rise of Donald Trump, quite frankly, and lots of other interesting and important stories. But you know what you're in for when the second paragraph of this long, long story, and it's talking about, you know, it's visiting like a new school arrival time in August at Liberty University, and the second paragraph begins with a sentence that I read, and I literally laughed out loud when I read this sentence. For 49 of those years, a member of the Falwell family had run Liberty, the country's most influential evangelical university. Now, folks, if you know anything about evangelical and Christian higher education in America, it's possible to say that Liberty University is powerful in some ways. It's possible to say that it was financially influential. It's possible to say that it was um, influential in certain circles of megachurch life in America and maybe independent Baptist churches, etc. But the idea <laughs> that Liberty University is America's most influential evangelical university is hysterically funny. It's so off base and so wrong. And unless, once again, your view of influential, the word influential means only what a group of people sitting around in Vanity Fair would consider it evangelical based on what they think evangelical culture is. Um, and from from that sentence on, let's just say that my eyebrows were up the entire time reading this piece. What did you make of the poll quote that sits there and really was kind of the, oh, the hook for the social media spread of this story? Quoting Jerry Falwell Jr., because of my last name, people think I'm a religious person, but I not. Well, his, he presents his own religious views at several points, and the uh, to which point we now get to attach to Jerry Falwell Jr. a very hip word right now that I think his critics would never have considered attaching to him. At this point, do we have to consider Jerry Falwell Jr. an ex-evangelical or an ex-evangelical, which are some of the most popular people in American media today, people who kind of exist to damage evangelicalism. I mean, whether it's, you know, an angry quarterback for the Green Bay Packers or whether it's, you know, this or that scholar writing books about you know, John Wayne or, or whoever, aren't exangelicals right now kind of like, isn't that the hip brand name right now? Sure. I mean, here we have Jerry Falwell, who says he no longer feels loyal to the church, but that he's still a Christian believer. He also makes a point of noting that he really felt he became a Christian, not so much an evangelical, when exposed for the first time to kind of an academic approach to Christian apologetics. Are we really going to say that Jerry Falwell Jr. was kind of like a secret, hard-drinking party guy until he read C.S. Lewis? 
or something like that. That's probably not what you assumed about Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, it'd be interesting to see what some of uh, what books were on the syllabi, you know, for courses of that kind at that time. But I guess my point here is that is the pull quote, yet it's absolutely consistent with everything that we have learned about this man and things that many of us assumed about this man for a long time, that he was a rebellious preacher's kid and that his brother, Jonathan, got the church because Jonathan actually was an evangelical pastor and the two brothers, were told, have never been close at all and that there's lots of tensions there and that Jerry Falwell Jr. got the university because of his financial clout and his ability to raise money and make money and build the school, so to speak, in terms of infrastructure. And he came up with the make the bells ring all the way to the bank idea of turning his father's old VHS tape ministry into one of the earliest forms that grew into online education, which proceeded to just cash checks like crazy and gets you a lot of the um, people who think Liberty University is so powerful. They're looking at these kind of inflated numbers for the number of students, and they're looking at the school's budget, and they're looking at all kinds of things related to money, power, and whatever. And they're assuming that that's what makes you influential in the world of higher education, when it certainly isn't. There might be schools that fear Liberty University, but after having spent a quarter of a century or much longer, if you consider I'm a Baylor alum and grew up in a family of Baylor alums, the whole idea that other Christian universities want to be Liberty University and consider it influential, like I said earlier, is just hysterically funny, but it fits Vanity Fair's view of the peace they've tried to produce. Another interesting thing emerged in the story, and that is, as told by Junior, Jerry Falwell's, I think, kind of public persona as a moral scold was more a result of Jerry Falwell Sr.'s wife than of any proclivities on his part. What was that angle in the story? Yeah, now that's what's really interesting is that fits things that I have heard from people who knew Jerry Falwell Sr. Now, if you assume the worst of Jerry Falwell Sr. in this piece, you kind of have this old-fashioned guy that wanted to be a radio star and wanted to have a big Baptist church, and I think that we can assume that. Then we talk about why he wanted to start a university. Well, if you talk to people who love Liberty University and, frankly, feared or detested Jerry Falwell Jr., you hear them talk about the father, Jerry Falwell Sr., not as some sort of perfect guy, but kind of a Bible church leader who was doing his thing for the very reasons you would assume. He wanted to be a preacher. He wanted to have a big church. He wanted to be an evangelist. He wanted to send missionaries out. He wanted to raise money for missionaries. Wasn't particularly talented as a financial thinker or planner, 
a whole lot of Christian universities in America have been either started or maintained by people who were basically church leaders who fell into positions of academic power largely because of their ability to raise money from a particular stream of church leaders, denominational leaders or whatever. And that's kind of what you what you hear people that liked Jerry Falwell Sr. They say that's he basically was what you would think he was. He was a Baptist megachurch pastor in the Bible Belt, and he started the school for all the reasons that he said he started the school. He wanted to create a large kind of evangelical-slash-fundamentalist school to produce preachers and missionaries and everything else. And these are the very people that are mad at Liberty University's turn toward the nakedly political in the last decade or so because it abandoned the original goals of the school, which were frankly kind of almost Bible college slash big megachurch evangelical oriented. Does that, that make any sense? Falwell, I don't think Jerry Falwell Sr. comes off that poorly in this piece. So there are two big engines that run this story and that make it of interest to people at Vanity Fair. And the first one, probably first and foremost, is the Donald Trump connection. What do we learn? Well, I think we need to ask some obvious questions, which doesn't mean that these are necessarily facts that we are used to dealing with in American public media. As we approach the presidential election of 2016, who is the Republican candidate that was most favored on the Liberty University campus and the most favored Republican candidate of the white evangelicals who backed Liberty University? You, you know the answer to that? I do not. Ted Cruz. The piece makes a big deal out of that, and it's logical because it's true. Cruz announced his campaign on the Liberty University campus. He's an evangelical himself. He's someone with a, a history in the movement. He's not popular with a lot of people, but Ted Cruz is definitely the white evangelical candidate going into that election. And it was totally logical for Jerry Falwell Jr. to back Ted Cruz if you assume that Jerry Falwell Jr. is a white evangelical leader as everyone assumed he was. But we find out something very interesting in this piece. And before we get to Donald Trump, we have to ask the other question. The piece is very clear, but doesn't linger on it. Who was Jerry Falwell Jr.'s political and cultural hero? Did you pick that up? I didn't. Where was that? Oh, it's it's in the piece. And, I mean, and it says he was the most starstruck he ever was was when he met this man for the first time. And that person is Rush Limbaugh. Now, if you, based on what we know now about Jerry Falwell Jr., and then we look at the life and times and cultural style of Rush Limbaugh, multiple marriages, a lot of problems. He ends up 
kind of beginning to respect the evangelicals of his audience. But for years, he was a libertarian who I've read books and articles that point out he used to not like evangelicals calling into his show because they asked too many questions about God and religion. And he was a libertarian who backed abortion rights. He was a libertarian who backed gay marriage. We're talking about Rush Limbaugh here. Uh, loves a cigar in his mouth, a foul joke in his, you know, on his breath, and has drug problems. He's a partier. And that is Jerry Falwell Jr.'s political and cultural hero. Now, if that's the case, and that's kind of the secret self that Jerry Falwell is looking, kind of keeping on the hidden, are we terribly surprised that he's a big fan of Rush Limbaugh? I'm not. I mean, his father loved radio. His father loved media. His father, had they had a wicked sense of humor. They're practical jokers. I can totally see Jerry Falwell just loving him some Rush Limbaugh. I can't see him liking Ted Cruz that much if Jerry Falwell is the man that we meet in this piece. And is it a bigger jump from admiring Rush Limbaugh to getting to Donald Trump? Then is that an easier jump than trying to get from Ted Cruz to Donald Trump? Yeah, I'd say yeah. I wouldn't even call it a jump. In fact, the cultural style of Rush Limbaugh and Donald Trump is stunningly similar, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people, including me, assumed that after leaving the White House, and especially with Rush Limbaugh dying at approximately the same time, I have totally expected Trump to try to anoint someone else as the new Rush Limbaugh and back them into media power in the Trump universe. You, you could make a case that to some degree, Jerry Falwell Jr. in this piece might be trying to kind of compete for his own niche of the Trump world because he comes off as kind of like a, a fake Christian or a shallow Christian, troubled Christian, pickup truck driving, secret drinker, hard talking, wandering eye guy. And that man is not the natural leader of white evangelical America. Yet that man is Donald Trump. So, and it's Jerry Falwell Jr., we find out. So, I mean, this is to me one of the ironies here. To me, the untold story of the 2016 election was the fact that in the primaries, the white evangelical vote was overwhelmingly for Ted Cruz. And in the in the book, Alienated America, we, we learned that in the, the primaries, you, that's where you saw these initial figures that the more people went to church, the less likely they were to vote for Trump in the early primaries. And that kind of fits the, the pickup truck, hard drinking, but kind of talks evangelical America versus the actual people with their multiple kids getting in their minivans and going to church evangelical. One wanted Trump. The other wanted Cruz. One is who people think Jerry Falwell Jr. is. The other is who it turns out he actually is. So at this point, I can't think of anything more ironic than Donald Trump urging 
as the other candidates begin to fall to the wayside and white evangelicals have no choice, they think, between, except for Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton, isn't it kind of ironic that a guy who actually isn't an evangelical and is living a lifestyle in many ways that sounds an awful lot like Trump or Trump world or Trump-ish, at the very least, isn't he a kind of an ironic guy to have created the great white evangelical savior, Donald Trump? To me, it's the single most important and ironic part of this is that this piece gives us so much evidence for why evangelicals were split over Donald Trump early on and why many of them, at least half of the white evangelicals that ended up voted for him, never were comfortable with him and voted for him because they felt they had no other choice. It's the relationship between Trump and evangelicalism that emerges in this piece is not one that fits most of the media scenarios. Oh, but it's cynical, and there's even kind of the implication that once the sex scandal gets rolling, that, you know, that we have this lawyer, Michael Cohen, comes riding in to help make the, the nude pictures of Becky Falwell go away. We have all of that stuff starts happening, and frankly, a lot of that seems believable. <laughs> but it's just not... Jerry Falwell, white evangelical, Jerry Falwell who understands how evangelicals think, and thus Jerry Falwell gives them Trump. That isn't what we get out of this piece at all. So the sex scandal, I don't think there's any great additional information here, but it obviously plays a role in what Jerry Falwell Jr. will depict in his telling of it as kind of, well, it's a terrible thing that this, that my wife engaged in this affair, but it kind of got me free from Liberty University. What are your final thoughts here with a few minutes? Well, yeah, I think you can make a case in here that one of the things you could assume about him is that he is actually trying to save his marriage and save his family. I think that's one of the best things that we can say about this piece in terms of if you're trying to look at it through Falwell's eyes. And so as you read through the sex scandal parts, the crucial thing to keep asking yourself, remember, again, Jerry Falwell Jr. is a lawyer. So what we want to see is what questions is Jerry Falwell Jr. not willing to answer in this piece? And what questions are the pool boy accuser, Giancarlo Granda, what questions does he not want to answer? And at that point, you know, I read it. It's tragic, it's sad, it tears your heart out to look at the pictures of the children and one of the grandchildren and to think of what's happened to these people and this family. But at the end of it, as thinking as a reporter, I went, huh, let's wait and see what happens in court. Because in the end, the financial part of the story and the sex scandal part of this, everybody's jockeying for inside rebound position, to put it in basketball terms. And let's try to have a little bit of patience, read the story with some skepticism, and aim that skepticism at the answers given by both sides, and then say to ourselves, let's see what happens in court. And meanwhile, the other part of the story that I think is really tragic is we see a failure of leadership at the leadership, at the trustee level, 
and fundraising level of Liberty University that deserves an entire other story of its own. And that's where you would get into the, the people on the faculty and in the wider Liberty universe, people who love the school and people who feel betrayed by the school. There's a story here about Christian education and Christian schools that's an entire other story, but that one's going to need to be written by someone who doesn't automatically hate evangelicals and is going to look for the good and the bad and try to tell that story straight up. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.